of a series called Redeeming Ruth, where we are looking at the redemption found in Ruth, but also redeeming it for our time. Wanting to know what's in it that is useful for us, helpful for us. What is this small little four-chapter book saying to us? So if you'll turn in your Bible uh, to Ruth chapter 3, I want you to look at this chapter that we've moved toward. We've covered the background. That was the first Sunday of this series. We've covered chapter 1 and then chapter 2. And we were left with Ruth getting some food, uh, finally, from the land of Boaz. And him telling her, look, you can glean here until the harvest is over. But you realize that the harvest doesn't last all year. And it's coming to an end. Uh, and so, what's going to happen then? Well, there's got to be something long-term if they're going to have food. Again, what she was doing was equivalent to picking up cans on the side of the road. And that's not going to last forever. And she's got to have something a little more long-term. Chapter 3 begins to deal with that. So if you'll look at, uh, it's right between First and Second Samuel and right, uh, right between Judges. Judges is the one before. It's tucked right in between the Judges and Samuel books. Uh, And it's just four chapters. It's really one of the short stories in the Bible. And what we'll do is we're going to read chapter 3, and then we're going to look at a couple things that I want to lift out to you this morning. Notice this in Ruth 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman." And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. 
Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said uh, to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for the Bible, Your Word to us. Holy Spirit, would You make it applicable to our hearts this morning through the message of Your servant. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing unto You this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, by the end of... uh, November, we will have read the entire book of Ruth. You really don't get to say that much uh, in most of the books that we cover. You know, if I did a series on Isaiah, uh, that would that would be almost a complete disaster because that's 66 chapters. That's a lot. Ruth, we can move through actually very quickly. As I said, it's really a short story. It's a love story. And who doesn't really like a love story? I mean, even the rough, tough dudes, the Marines, like I said... Uh, they like a good love story. Why they do what they do is because they love their country after all. They love the guy next to them after all. Again, I was watching something on Navy SEALs. I know I'm a little obsessed. And, and again, they said, look, when I fire my rifle, I don't fire for me. I fire for you. I'm protecting you. I'm protecting my boy next to me. It's not just about me. If it was about me, I'd be running <laughs> while I was firing. But instead, I'm standing here with you and I'm firing. Um, And so, love is something at the very core of all of the world. Not just your heart or my heart, even though it's at the core of our hearts as well. We want love. We need love. Both to love and to be loved. And Ruth supplies for us a short story, love story. It's not just a chick flick. It's close. But it's not just a chick flick, okay? Uh, There is this really manly dude in here that we men ought to aspire to. His name literally means strength. That'd be an awesome name. Hey, strength, come over and help me with this. You know, that's, that's quite a name. And so Boaz acts in this way as a redeemer. Did you hear that? Did you catch that this morning? She calls him Redeemer. And he says, yes, I am a Redeemer. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But let me give a little backdrop to catch us up to speed again and to remind you of where we are in this story. Basically, the story begins in Bethlehem, which means house of bread, food world. And they're saying there is a famine in food world. And that's not good in Bethlehem. House of bread. There's a a famine. There's no bread in the house of bread. So Elimelech, which his name means my God is king, he says, let's take the family and relocate because we don't want to starve to death. Well, whether a good decision or bad, he ends up moving them to Moab, which Moab is a result of an incestuous sexual relationship between Lot and his daughter. Remember, after Sodom and Gomorrah, they flee to the hills. They think everybody's gone. So his daughter actually gets him drunk, has sex with him. She produces a child. That child's name is Moab. These Moabites, as they are called in the Bible, are pagans. They're polytheistic. They do not worship Yahweh. They go the exact opposite of God's way in the world, and they're idolatrous. 
He moves his family to a place of complete idolatry. A place that does not worship God about 50 miles west of where they were. And he ends up dying. He's the first to die. Again, whether a good decision or not, we're not told. All we're told, Ruth is very terse. It's very short, abrupt. He's not given a bunch of commentary. We're meant to pick out the commentary ourselves. It's meant to be, be uh, kind of deduced, so to speak. And so here, Ruth very quickly is moving the story along in chapter 1. And Elimelech dies, so do his two sons who actually married Moabite women. So uh, Naomi here, the, the mother, is, and then the, the wife is distraught, she's distressed, her family's been emptied, her family's been destroyed, and she has nothing. So she hears that Yahweh has now provided food in Bethlehem. So she's going to go back home. I'm done with Moab. She's lost. They went there to get food. They got death. Ever made one of those wrong decisions? It was a decision made in logic. It was a reasonable decision. We don't have food here, so we move to here. And it results in death. Death comes to their door and takes away all the men. Now, you have to put yourself in the ancient Near Eastern context to understand that it's very dangerous for a woman not to have a male in her life in this period. It's dangerous. Physically dangerous, also spiritually dangerous. You can be snapped up from anybody and abused or put into prostitution or to slavery. Most of the times for ladies, especially young ladies, uh, prostitution was slavery, just like the sex trade is today. I mean, you realize that this goes on today all over the world. And it happens in America as well. Little girls get snapped up and they get brought to places like India where this stuff is even protected uh, in parts of India. Uh, this is not dead, okay? This is why Muslims also protect their women to where we don't even like it. You know, they, they're a little more hardcore than Christians are on this matter, but there's a protection here for women. Um, and you can, you can like that or not like it, but there's also biblical basis for this kind of protection. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, <clears throat> looking at what Ruth is actually told to do here by Naomi, by the way. It's not on her own initiative. And so, they die. Chapter 1 is a disaster. Chapter 2, there's a little bit of hope. They return home. Ruth makes this proclamation. Her sister doesn't, by the way. Her sister is also widowed. All three of them are widowed. You have three ladies who are widowed. One of them gets cut out because she wants to stay in Moab. Ruth, however, says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you die, I'm going to die. Whoever your God is, that's going to be my God. So she's a convert. She turns to God. And she is converted to the true faith. And so she leaves and goes to Bethlehem. And she starts picking up cans on the side of the road, so to speak, as she's picking up barley after, after the, during the harvest time. <clears throat> she gets a little bit of food. Meets Boaz, beautiful story there, how it just so happened that she ended up in his field. It just so happened that he was rich. It just so happened he owned the field. It just so happened he was single. It just so happened he was stable. It just so happened that she was worthy and that he was a man of honor. It just so happened, you say, which is providence. It gets to a point where the just so happened wasn't happenstance, but rather there is a director behind the scenes that is, that is moving things and directing things in an unseen way. Movies don't just come out their own way. They have a producer. The producer of life is God Himself, and He is producing things here and putting things in the way that Ruth is meeting Boaz in this beautiful, secretive kind of way, and it only develops to its climax in chapter 3. Did you not just hear? Now they have a private meeting. 
Um, and so we come up to date, and here, here's the deal, and here's the way we're going to work through chapter 3, is to say there are three time frames in chapter 3. The first is Ruth and Naomi in late afternoon. She's giving a plan, she's giving instruction, and Ruth agrees to this instruction. Then, at really the middle of the night, or we could say for you chick flick lovers, at twilight, um, there is a private meeting of Ruth and Boaz. This is the only place, by the way, in this whole story where they are alone. Where they are together in the cover of darkness in the middle of the night. And in the other part is the last few verses which deal with uh, dawn, the early morning, where she slips out and goes back home. Okay, Very simple, structurally, of chapter 3. Three movements, one night, big things happen. This is an all-night thing. Uh, she's pulling an all-nighter, really. Uh, to do something here, what is it she's trying to do? Read the first verse of chapter 3 and you'll see Naomi's concern. My daughter. Notice that she is called my daughter by both Naomi and by Boaz. He doesn't call her babe. He doesn't call her dude. You know, sometimes I hear in college uh, these guys saying, yeah, dude. You know, he's talking to a girl. I'm like... Okay. I guess that's a new thing. Um, no, he's not disrespect. He actually calls her daughter. Now, if you had an eye for marriage, if you had an eye that she might be the one, you know, daughter's not a very sexually charged term. That's because he respects women. He treats all women as his daughter. And don't you want the guy who's going to be dating your daughter to treat her as your daughter? Her, his own daughter, before he treats her as wife? Again, this thing of protection is lost in our American culture where we just send them out to places of prostitution, essentially. Colleges have become places of prostitution. If you want to find easy sex in the world, you go to college campuses, universities. This is where it happens. All you got to do is just take them out for a meal and a couple of beers, and that, that's payment enough. This is abject prostitution in our world. If people look back a thousand years from now, they'll say, this is where the hot spots were sexually. And we just ship them off with no protection. I don't know. Co-ed? Fine. Fine with me. Really? Okay. Some of you have small daughters in this room. Most of you don't have teenage daughters here. Uh, you need to begin to think about how it is, what you're going to set in place as a father. You have been given a job of protecting. This is the same thing for my boys. There are, look, you go on, to, you go on the website and look at, at how many pedophiles, how many people who have been charged with sexual crimes. You know, there's, a, there's a data bank. There's, what, 50 within a 10-mile radius of our house? I'm in charge of protecting my sons. If I had any daughters, I'd be in charge of protecting them. Interestingly, Ruth does not have that. We're not told about her father. Maybe she had one. He was pagan, obviously, from Moab. We're not told. So Naomi takes this position of protector for her. And she says, do I not need to find you rest? Interestingly, this chapter begins with rest and ends with this term, rest. 
And in the middle, they're resting together. She says, you need to find a husband. You're widowed. You're never going to enjoy a full life if you do not get married and have children. You'll be poor the rest of your life. Which was often the case of those who were widowed. And so, Naomi devises a plan. Fascinatingly enough, in chapter 2, Naomi prays that they would have plenty. Prays that, they, prays that they would be provided for. Well, Boaz is going to be that provision, but notice this. This is something very fascinating about Ruth, is that two times in Ruth, the, pe- the person pl- prays, first Naomi, then Boaz, and both times they become their own answer to prayer. So Naomi prays for provision, right? But she doesn't just sit around and say, Oh Lord, please provide, please provide. I'm going to kick you back on the couch a little bit more. Please provide. Pre-. No. no. She acts. We're always called to pray act. Pray work. Prayer is not something we do separately. It's what we do all of the time. It always requires our action. And a lot of times... We are the answer. So this is why Jesus, He would say, pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send out laborers. And He turns to Him and says, you are those laborers, by the way. You know, you have, when you lead something, you guys know this as much as I do, uh, pastoring a church, but in your, own, in your own workplaces, lots of people come to you with ideas, how to change things, how to make things better. One of the best things to do is say, hey, get after it. They want you to do it. Get after it. That's what God is saying. He's the greatest manager of all, isn't He? We come to Him and say, man, I really wish the church was better. I mean, a bunch of hypocrites. Be the difference. Don't just sit around and pray and complain. That's not what Naomi does. Instead, she plans. She prays, then she plans for success. And so her plan, she says, Ruth, you need to wash. You need to put on your best clothes. You need to get some makeup on. You need to look stunning, showstopper. You know what I'm saying? Dolled up. That's what she t- Why? Get his attention. Something that smells good, looks good. Who doesn't like that? Remember, each time that Boaz has met her before, she's been working in the field. Uh, got there really early in the morning. Most of us know what we look at like early in the morning. Um, you look great right now, by the way. Um, I didn't see you this morning at 5.30, you know. Um, uh, she tells us, says, look, get ready, wash, anoint yourself, put on a cloak, go down to the threshing floor, wait until he actually eats and drinks. You know, uh, I had a... In my psychology class, many, many years ago in college, I remember, I remember this because I thought it was a great, uh, great, great thing, but uh, the lady said, look, when someone is fed properly, you know, watered and fed, so to speak, you know, then you can actually relate to them better. You're not thinking about food. Your breath's not reeking because you're, 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 uh, you're hungry. You're, 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 feel, you're merry. And it's a date. That's why we do that on dates. You know, when I, when Jessica and I go out on a date, we go eat normally somewhere uh, because there's not much of a date if you're hungry. 
You're not really wanting to spend time talking to another person. Here, she says, look, wait till he's fed, wait till he's drunk, uh, something, and, and then I want you to go and uncover his feet. Now, this is, this is where it gets interesting. Um, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, because when she does it, I want to I tell you a couple things about what that means. Here, in chapter 2, and uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 1, it's interesting that Ruth, after Naomi tells her something, rejects Naomi. Right? You remember this? Naomi says, look, you need to go back to Moab. There's nothing for you in Bethlehem. This is a foreign land. You're a foreigner. You need to go back and you need to get married. I mean, what am I to you? Remember, she's got herself Mara, bitter. Ruth, uh, Naomi actually means pleasant. She says, no, I've become bitter. You need to go back. And Ruth says, no, I'm, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you tell me. I'm sticking with you, whether good or bad. Here in chapter 3, she says, all that you say, I will do. So, so now it's a contrast. It's a turning. She now says, all that you say, I will do. And this is exactly what happens in verses 6-13. through 13, as She executes the plan that is prayed over and offered to her by Naomi. Again, they needed a final solution. They needed a long-term plan in place in order to have God's provision on their life. Again, Ruth is this hard worker. She's an honorable woman. Did you see what he said in there about her? All the townspeople know that you are a woman of honor. And so too he was. He was a man of honor. And so, so this is, what happens next is actually very risky for her. First of all, threshing floor does not get a good rap in the Bible. It's actually a place where bad things often happen. It's also a place of decisions, apparently, that are made. And also of, again, prostitution quite frankly. I mean, at harvest time, you have to understand that the pagans would go crazy at harvest time because, you know, you're bringing in the gold, you know, this is our, our food for the whole year, and if it's good, I mean, it's a great celebration. Everybody gets drunk, and with drunkenness comes a lot of times sexual perversion. Uh, and so a lot of times ladies would, would go down there and lie with the men for money and, and make a lot of money, uh, obviously, during this harvest period. So she could be seen as a prostitute. This, that's why she says, look, go under the cover of night. And he tells her even, go back under the cover of night. So again, it's very, you know, Naomi and Boaz both are worried about her reputation, but she has to make this decision. Harvest is not going to last forever. They don't have text messages or email. She's not going to be able to stay in touch. You don't just go doing that anyway. So this is one effort on Ruth and Naomi's part to make this happen. And, and so kind of the story really gets really interesting as far as if we're looking at this as a movie. I mean, this is where it starts getting good. You know, you're saying, all right, kind of on the edge of your seat. What's going to happen here? I wonder, I wonder if, you know, this is going to be a blown opportunity or, or if it's going to go down like it needs to. Is he going to mistake her for a prostitute? Is, is he going to reject her? Um, interestingly, it's the exact opposite happens. <laughs> he is... You know, I get this young lady, right? He's old. He's older. He's not married. Um, and here comes this foreigner, Ruth, to his place where he lies. And so the engagement really happens in 6 through 13. This is a, what I call risky resting together. <laughs> so they're going to kind of spend the night together um, under the cover of darkness again. 
Um, and, and, you know, this, this is, again, this is an interesting text here in 3. No one really knows what the uncovering of the feet means. It can have a sexual connotation, although in chapter 4 we know there was no sex between them. Um, she still, he, he still honors her. Interestingly, Boaz also does something that, that we men need to keep in mind, especially if you're single, is, is he sends something back for the mother-in-law. Uh, remember? She comes back and she, he gives her a gift. Now, that's how you get to a woman's heart. It's not by doing stuff for her. If you get the mother, you're in. I mean, I remember when, when I started uh, you know, seeing Jessica, um, Nana loved me. And I knew that was it. That's all I needed. Nana liked me. I would, now, it's interesting she liked me only because I was Methodist. But, um, you know, so I don't, I don't know what that means. But, but, uh, but, hey, I was in, you know. And so, so he actually sends something back to the, to the mother-in-law. And, hey, that makes things better. Um, because ultimately, dating should be to the family and not just to the individual. If the kids are always... I mean, when my sons start seeing girls... Uh, dating, if you will. Uh, first of all, they're going to be over 16. And sec- the same thing as I was. And secondly, they're going to be having their date in front of me. Uh, now, with, with the girls and stuff, it's, it's obviously a little bit different because a girl would not be even going out. They would come to my house. Um, and I would have a display of my weaponry um, just to inform them in a, that I am a very manly man. Uh, and that there's a potential that I, could, I too could go like, uh, remember what Boaz said last week, I'll go Old Testament on you. you know. um, I've got a big field, uh, and I own a lot. And so, so you know, for, it's, it's really our job to protect our children from each other even. Guys, you have lived, some of you have lived in fornication. Some of you have hurt each other in this, in this, in this area of sexuality. And what I'm saying is don't let your children make the same mistakes. Don't just say, oh, well, that's a kid thing to do. No, it's not. Not according to the Bible. So, they meet up at twilight. And this is a story of romance, of of sexual tension. I mean, when you read this, if you read it carefully, you can feel that, that they both want to be with one another. Um, and yet they choose to stay honorable. It doesn't go any further than the want here. Um, and, and you know, again, this is this is something where our culture has completely gone down the pot on. Uh, we expect people to live together. We expect them to try each other out bodily. Um, you know, and, and this is not God's plan. This is not God's plan. Can I say that again? This is not God's plan in our world. And some of you, let me just throw this out there too, because some of you say, boy, I'm glad I'm not in that scene. Yeah, but you were. And you made the mistake with your wife beforehand, and you never asked for forgiveness. You never asked her to forgive you. You were the man. You know, a lot of people say, well, it's on the woman not to want to have... No, no, no. The Bible's going to hold the man responsible. So again, if you can't man up for your past mistakes, then that's a problem. You need to ask forgiveness. You need to ask forgiveness and you need to uh, forgive even past things. Because if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, Jesus says. 
It's a very serious thing. She then uncovers his feet in the middle of the night again, and he wakes up startled. Here she is. Interesting, she says, Who are he says, Who are you? Now, remember back in chapter two, he says, Whose are you? Because again, if you saw a woman out there, she belonged to someone, some male that you were going to have to contend with, whether that be her dad or her brothers or her grandfather. Someone in her family was given charge that was a male that could protect her. She doesn't have that. He learns this, and he basically says, look, stay in my field. If you don't have a protector, again, this term protector can also be redeemer. If you don't have a redeemer, then you stay in my field. Um, And this is what he offers to her, is this protection, this this provision even. And so so she does this thing, and and basically when he wakes up and says, who are you? She says, I am am Ruth, your servant. Um, Again, we... uh, we seem to balk at this idea of being, you know, servant. What do you mean? She's his servant. You know, we kind of get an attitude. Um, interestingly, God gives us in the Bible some jobs to do. He says, as far as the family works, it works in a certain way. Uh, the husband is to be the head of the household, just as Christ is the head of the church. So is Christ domineering the church? Does he micromanage the church? No, 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 he doesn't. Um, nor should we as husbands, as fathers. But instead, the thing that we are called to do is to give our life as Jesus Christ gave his life. If, if your leadership doesn't look like that, if you're not down serving your wife and, and washing your kids' feet and, and her feet, so to speak, if that's not your heart, instead demanding your way, then you're not leading like Jesus. You're not being the head like Jesus. Because that's what kind of head He was. And the disciples were confused, were they not? No, 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 you don't need to wash my... No, no, no. Oh yes, I do. Because the leader of all is servant of all. And the wife is told to submit. And again, we, you know, we question that. I, I don't know about that. The children are told to obey. Interestingly, Jesus does all three. Isn't that fascinating? It's not about subordinationism. No, no one is subordinated to the other. It's not about that at all. No, we're a team, including my kids. They're part of the team now. Now, Jessica and I are the unit. We are the core, and we will never disband. Now, we will send them off. We'll kick them out eventually. Um, that day will come, sadly. I, when I look at Ty, I, I wonder how that can ever happen, but it'll happen one day. It'll rip my heart out. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't cry or weep much, but, but my kids can bring me to my knees. Let me tell you right now. I actually went on kind of a date with Jackson uh, the other night. And so we went out, just did some couple things ourselves, you know, uh, just, just he and I time. And we got some ice cream on a cold night and then went straight and got some hot chocolate to warm it up. And, uh, and, you know, I said, I asked him, I said, buddy, you know, it was just me and him sitting there at Dairy Queen. I said, I said, what is your, what is your favorite thing to do in all the world? You know, I kind of preface it with, with, uh, what is your favorite thing to do at school? You know, and he told me and then, and I said, well, what is your favorite thing to do in, in all the world? What's your favorite thing to do? He said, spend time with you, daddy. <laughs> and you talk about tears immediately coming to my eyes. You know, I, I mean, I will, it, you know, you get that swelling feeling. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, um, my kids can do that to me. 
That's because I've been given charge of those little dudes, all four of them. And I take that very, very seriously. And no one's going to get in between me and our children, uh, not, even, not even Satan himself or, or school or whatever it is. We make those decisions. for. Our, we place them places. We are the ones who are going to help direct them in life to be a productive person in the world. That's our job as parents. You better take it seriously because you're going to be judged one day on how you do it. There's one good father. That's it. None of us are good fathers. Let me just throw that out there. I'm not a good father. He's the only good father. Any goodness that is in me is from the Father. The good, holy Father. (laughs) And that's hope. That's hope. Because that means that when I do mess up, I go to Jackson, I go to Baylor, Bo, and Ty, and I say, Daddy messed up, buddy. I'm sorry. And that's also a pattern about how they need to live their life. Not covering stuff up, but instead being real with them. So... Here's what happens. She uncovers his feet. She then says, look, spread your cloak over me, basically, which is the same as saying, put your wing over me. All right, that's exactly what she says here. It's like, I want you to be, I want to be in bed with you. That's what she's saying. I mean, if we want to get down to it, she's saying, where you sleep, I want to sleep. Same thing with, remember Naomi, where you go, I go. Who your God is, you'll be my God. Now she says to him, I want to be in your bed. I want you. This is very clear in the text. She wants him. And you can imagine, I mean, she's smelling good. She's looking good. Uh, he's been looking at dudes all day and harvest. I mean, yeah, this is a serious moment. This is one of these moments where in the heat of the moment, things are heating up fast, right? And what does he do? He doesn't take advantage of her, does he? Instead, he prays for her. <laughs> and he calls her his daughter. Notice this, May, verse 10, you be blessed by Yahweh, my daughter. Do not fear, he tells her. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. He says, look, there's a little hiccup in the problem because, yeah, I'm a redeemer. I'm in your family. Remember, actually, the Luke reading that we had, that, that Grant read, did you, did you catch that? That was that whole redeemer thing too. There's an ancient thing where, where if, if I died, my brother would need to take care of Jessica. She wouldn't need to just be out there on her own or waiting for the government to take care of her or something like that. No, it's family. It's always family. It's the family unit. Uh, and so, so here he says, look, I'm, yes, I'm a but there's one that's closer than I am. Don't worry, don't fear about it. I got this. Again, he's a real man's man. He's, he'll figure it out. He's a, he says, look, I'm going to figure it out. I'll handle this. Don't worry about it. Alright? Now we'll deal with that next week. Okay? How he figures it out. How he handles it. Uh, But at this point, she has to trust him, doesn't she? Basically, she's she's offered herself to him and says, look, I want you. And that's, that's that's a risky thing, isn't it? Isn't love always risky? If I love you... If, if I care about you, that's going to cost me. It may cost me a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, I'm in the hospital. need you to come pray for me. Hey, I'm there. Uh, you may be broken down on the side of the road. I mean, friendship costs. Love costs. And we don't always know what's going to happen when we love someone. They may, they may hurt us. They may hurt us. And, that, and that's, that's a real, real problem. But here, she decides to love. She could have turned bitter. Couldn't she? Gave up. Life is terrible. 
and I'm just going to throw in the towel. No, 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 no. She's had one husband to die, but she hasn't given up on husbands. She hasn't given up on men. Uh, instead, here she risks her very life, her reputation even. And he, she, he says, look, stay here the rest of the night because it's too dangerous for you to walk back home alone. And then I want you to slip out in early morning and I'll take care of the rest. So then she goes home, verses 4, 14 through 18, early in the morning, and, and basically she comes back with more food, right? So notice this, in chapter 1, no food, then death, widowhood. Chapter 2 deals kind of with the food problem. Boaz is the provision for food. Chapter 3, this engagement between Boaz and Ruth, deals with the widowhood. The fact that she's a widow, but she won't be for long. He's going to get this done. He's going to figure this thing out. I got this. He's a confident dude. Remember, he owns his own business. Um, so, here, she goes back home and, and uh, she returns to Naomi with her hands full with a gift to Naomi. And here's what Naomi says in, in summary. She says this. She says, wait for him. So, in one sense, we're told to act, Right? There's a plan in place. Act on it. Now wait. You know how life is? You plan. You prepare. You wait. You act. It's both. It's up and down. Also, uh, there's a risk involved here, but there's a great return. And oftentimes, the greater the risk, the greater the return, right? I mean, if you, don't, you say, man, I'd love to make a lot of money uh, in, in investments. Well, don't go mutual fund then. You're going to have to go stocks, and that's dangerous, that's risky, but the return is also greater. And here she does something very risky, and love is always risky, but there's a greater return on love than other things in life. You can, you can buy, for instance, the new PS4 or Xbox One that's coming out. You can buy that, but you may get a lemon. Well, that's, that's not that big of a deal. I mean, $400, $500 going down the drain. But to give 10 years of your life to someone, that's hardcore. That's a risk. But the return is much greater than some electronic box. Friendship is greater. Love is greater. Marriage is the greatest. The Bible says, who sticks closer than a brother? It says Jesus does, but I'll tell you another one. It's marriage. My wife. Now, my brother and I are tight. I mean, I'm talking about it was only me and him growing up. And we are very close, even to this day. Uh, with the crazy work schedules that we have, we still talk. We still love each other deep. But my wife sleeps with me every night. My brother does not. Nor would we ever. <laughs> Nor did we ever. <laughs> Even when we slept together, I would sleep on the top uh, of the cover and he would sleep under the cover. Um, I think the last time I slept with him was in college and that's exactly what happened. Um, no, but my wife and I, we share something that no one else in the entire world shares. Um... You know, it's interesting that God in the Garden of Eden, did He not, not provide these two things that we're talking about? Food and marriage. He, gives, he first creates a bunch of food in the garden. Fruit galore. Animals. And then He says, you know what? This isn't enough for man. He needs a partner. He needs someone. And He creates woman. Marriage. In other words, 
Marriage is the core relationship where all family comes from. You came from a marriage. You say, well, they weren't. Ma-. Well, you came from the sexual marriage. Yes, you did. That sexual union between man and woman always produces life. Now, we've devised ways to contracept that process. Now it's almost shocking when somebody gets pregnant. That's the most normal thing in the world, you realize, right? <laughs> Love produces another always unless we stop that process. This is the way I, be- I believe, this is why I believe God created the world. His relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He loved it so much. He said, let's share that. It was just an overflow of His love. And He shares it with us. And so, she says, wait, daughter. Because let me tell you something about this guy. (laughs) He's not going to rest tonight until he gets this matter settled. Trust me. He won't sleep. You know, once you've offered... He still is smelling your perfume. You know, he, he still has his eyes set on you. He's, he wants to be with you. And she says, look, he won't rest until this matter is settled today. Remember, this is early morning. Well, we'll pick this up next week about what ends up happening in the story. Uh, but she says, wait, trust, rest. Remember what she said at the beginning? Do I not need to find rest for you? Now she says, he won't rest until he finds rest for you. What can we learn from this? What's the conclusion of this? Jesus is our Boaz. That's what it is. We are to be Ruth. We are to come to Him in the darkest places of our life when things get dark, when we don't know what to do, when we don't have provision, when we've learned finally come down to that moment where we know we can't survive on our own. We slip into His tent. We uncover His feet and we say, we want to be with you. I need to be with you. Have you ever said that to God? Or has this thing always just been about you? Is this, is this Christian life that you live just about you? Or have you really ever even needed God? You know, the enemy, his plan is not to scare you or to make bad things happen. If he can keep you on cruise control, you'll cruise right into hell. You live in your life as you want to live it. No, instead, have you ever needed God? We all do. It's just whether or not you see it or not. There's a great illusion in the world that we don't need God. All we need is Walmart. (laughs) Right? It supplies all my riches according to its production. Right? It's got plenty. Well, when life comes crashing down like it did on Naomi and on Ruth, what do you do? Where do you turn? You turn to a Redeemer. Someone to redeem your life. She says, I need your wing of protection over me. I need you to cover me. We need to pray. We need to act. Whose are you? I would ask you that question. Whose are you? Are you your own? Because that's going nowhere. Love is not about you. It's about the other. We too, just like Ruth, must be obedient to wisdom. And we need to rest in Jesus Christ. He is our Redeemer. Rest in Him. Amen.